Hello there, fellow warrior. Let's talk about shedding shame in the days of the self-appointed shame police. I've been talking about shedding shame for a few years now, okay? I know a little bit about shame. I came from a single-parent home, and all my friends, anyway, had dual-parent homes. Uh, there was a time when we had to use food stamps because my mom was in between jobs. She was a very hard-working woman, but in between jobs and a, a somewhat missing biological father, so we had to have food stamps. I remember feeling a little shame with that. We had to have coupons for school lunches for a period of time. I didn't have the clothing that other people could afford. I mean, I just didn't have it. I mean, we were we were bare bones. And like I said, my biological dad was missing. There was some shame with that. There were some crazy things that went on in my family, especially related to my biological father, father's family. There was the shame when I stole a candy bar when I was 11. And there was the shame that came with Jamie's addiction. And I'm sure there are a lot of other reasons that I covered myself in shame. We pile it on for many reasons. And it's never easy. I mean, it's never easy to shed it. For some reason, we feel we deserve the shame. Maybe we've lived with it for so long. Or we have a false sense of other people's lives. You know, we think, well, they, they don't have anything to be ashamed of or they're living such better lives. Mainly it's because we don't know. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what they've experienced. And so we're sitting around comparing what we don't know. So we have a false sense of other people's lives as compared to ours. And you know what? One of my nine weapons of hope that you can access through our Trauma Disruptors membership is to uh, is on focus. It's called Your Focus. And that's because when we're on the outside looking in, we have a completely distorted picture of what other people's lives are like. And that really kind of ends up distorting the value we have of ourselves. And so, you know, we end up, we stop believing in our value. Maybe we never have very much. Depends on how long we've had ourselves covered in shame. For some reason, we feel as if we're supposed to stay in this self-flogging, this self-punishment mode. And often we take on the shame of other people things that they have done that we haven't even done. There was an incident with my biological father that happened many years ago now, but at the time it happened, I I had that moment where I was just like, wow, he did that and he's my dad. How awful. I felt awful, even though I had nothing to do with it. We do that. We take on the shame of others. So it's hard enough. Wouldn't you agree? It's hard enough to shed shame, to get past that to start believing in ourselves, to build up that self-worth and that value enough that we just let go of all that garbage. You know, we just, we stop having that guilt that we're carrying around and we just start uncovering the layers of shame. It's difficult. Of course, anything worth having, doing, or being in this lifetime is difficult. Let's, let's get real here. So it's never going to be easy to shed shame. It's absolutely doable, but it's not easy. Now, We are in the days of the self-appointed shame police. Oh my goodness. We've got people running around deciding who should be ashamed of what. I mean, seriously, you are going to start canceling. People have careers canceled now, jobs canceled now because of something they said 92 years ago. Obviously, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying. Or one thing in their life 
How would you like to be judged by one thing in your life? How would you like the entire population to start thinking of you by one incident in your life, one mistake? I don't know about you, my friend, but I've made a shitload of them. And here I went several podcasts without swearing, but you get my point. I've made a lot of them. I wouldn't want to be judged by one mistake I've made. That's not who I am. It's one thing I did. I mean, if that's your entire life and all you do is that mistake, okay, then maybe you could be judged that way. But this is getting ridiculous. Can you tell I'm a little passionate about this? It's really kind of ticking me off. We've got these self-appointed police that are out there running around telling everybody what they should and shouldn't do. And, you know, this person's bad and this person's good. I mean, come on, people. We have Hollywood, who isn't exactly, you know, the highest level of uh, known for high level character and, and integrity in many ways. They're, they're people who are pretending to be people, other people. And granted, there are probably a lot of wonderful people in Hollywood. I'm just saying as a whole, come on. It's not like, you know, you should be the moral police, but they are. Holy crowly. They're the self-appointed moral police. And on and on it goes. It's not just Hollywood. It's getting ridiculous. You know, I'm out here trying to help people to shed shame. And now people are up on their high horse, pretending that they've never done anything wrong and telling other people to be ashamed. It's ridiculous. That is keeping people stuck in victimhood. We're even being told to be ashamed for things that happened hundreds of years ago. I, it's ridiculous. So I really want you to try your hardest to stay away from all that and to just stay in your own lane. You've got too much work to do to try to get rid of this shame you're already carrying around without all the noise and clutter. There's shame related to COVID. There's people trying to divide our country politically. There's shame involved all over there, all over that. Where I already said canceling people's careers. Sometimes it's even a perceived wrong move. People don't even have facts anymore, and they're all just making judgments and just covering people in this debilitating shame. Listen, I agree there are lines we shouldn't cross. I am not into the anything goes. Let's not judge anybody. Let's just, you know, make sure everything, everybody's love, peace, and joy. Everyone can get away with anything, and it doesn't matter anymore. There's no more rules. I'm not saying that because that's a pendulum that swung in the complete wrong direction. I'm all for being a law-abiding citizen and having personal responsibility and respect. But who died and put these people in charge suddenly? The self-appointed moral police. The self-appointed shame police. I think you're getting my point that it has never been harder to shed shame. So what are you going to do now that I've given you this big downer how hard it is to shed shame? Why don't you try turning off social media? Or limiting yourself. I mean, this is like a drug now. I mean, can you try to limit yourself to, you know, at one hour a day instead of seven or whatever it is? And and all the news BS is just constant fighting and bickering and, and deciding who's a worthy person and who's not. The second thing, think for yourself. You are a smart person. It doesn't matter how educated you are. You're wise You've lived life. You've got intuition. You've got gut feeling. You've got, you know, God, if, if that's your thing, you've got what it takes to think for yourself. The mob mentality is rarely a good thing. So we don't have to jump on board 
with piling shame onto other people. You know, have you ever heard that that uh, Bible verse where Jesus said, you know, basically take the plank out of your own eye before you're worried about the speck of dust in somebody else's? Isn't that what's happening right now? People are running around being so vocal about everybody else's mistakes as if they don't have any themselves. So you got to keep that in perspective and turn off that noise. Here's another tip. So this is the first one was to turn off social media and news BS. The second one is to think for yourself. The third is that the mob mentality is rarely a good thing. Here's the fourth. Stand back from your situation and analyze it from a new perspective. Think about it if you were going to give advice to somebody else and they were in your shoes. You've got to really do try hard if you're not that kind of person that, that can do that easily. Step into someone else's shoes. Get outside of it. Um, be on the outside looking in and think, oh, wow. You know, if that was so-and-so, I would tell them this. Well, start telling yourself that. Get a new perspective on your situation. The fifth thing is to forgive yourself. Okay, maybe there's something you should be ashamed of. Like I told you, I stole that candy bar when I was 11. And, and trust me, there are plenty of things since I was 11. You just don't have enough time to hear it all. <laughs> And, but, you know, forgive yourself. I mean, we, we try not to repeat our mistakes, but forgive yourself. Quit flogging yourself. Quit beating yourself up over it. It's not helping anything. You're not going to shed that shame if you can't learn how to forgive yourself. And here's a biggie. Forgive others. Okay? And I'm not talking about the shame police. Well, you guess what? You got to forgive them too. But you can, you can forgive others and still not get stay stuck in their crap. Okay? If somebody's keeping that shame on you, if they're painting it on you, they got their own shame paintbrush, you get away from them. Forgive them, but get away from them. You don't have to keep allowing it. The seventh thing is to get working on a program to change your thinking and start believing in your value, whatever that may be. It could be a combination of things. And, and that brings me to my eighth thing, which yeah, probably seven and eight should have gone together, but what the heck. And that is to start living the nine weapons of hope. And those are included with my Trauma Disruptors memberships. I would love to see you become a member because this is the kind of stuff you will work on. Now, and listen, you don't have to use my program. Find somebody else that works for you. But if it works for you, you're going to learn things like commitment and, and ways to actually stay committed to things and, and to make decisions. And this isn't just like, hey, be committed. You know, I mean, there's actual tangible tools. And we'll, you know, we'll work on your attitude. We'll start helping you to believe in yourself, to use that F word, to release the, the, the shame and the guilt and the anger, to help you tap into the power of your spiritual armor, whatever that looks like to help you analyze your relationships so that you can be impacted by the right people and not affected by the wrong ones. And to help you choose your focus. Because, you know, as I said, that's something that really can get us, us out of whack. Self-care. Give, you're going to learn how to give yourself permission to matter and to start thinking about your legacy. What does that have to do with shame? Well, let me tell you something. Here's the deal. You are creating a legacy right now. One that is going to be left behind after you're gone. You are. You don't have to, you know, choose it, want to, focus on it, you know, write it down in your journal. It's happening. Game on. Like it or not, it is happening. You're depositing yourself, little pieces of yourself in other people. So your legacy is happening. So once you start to really jump forward and start thinking about that and get excited about it, you're going to shed that shame. 
all of these nine things work together. So I would love to see you get really committed to the nine weapons of hope because I really think they're going to change your life. They certainly have changed mine and, and other people too. And the ninth thing, this is the ninth thing. Okay. I, I think I said I was going to give you nine things. Well, maybe I didn't. I had my, okay. You know what? These things are live, right? I, I mean, I only edit so much. I only edit if I need to turn a page and I don't want to have that in your ear or if I burped or something. <laughs> so, I mean, this is live. I had it in my head that it was going to be nine things. So that's why I was going along and told you I should have put seven and eight together. Forget my numbering system. It doesn't matter. But the last tip I want to give you is to do something, anything, but don't do nothing. You're going to stay covered in shame if you don't do nothing, especially in this day and age of the shame police. Even though maybe you're not a public person and you're not being subjected to this cancel culture and all the stuff going on, it still affects you, right? Because all of a sudden you identify with somebody and you go, oh gosh, I, I, I kind of used to think like that person too. And oh, now they're a bad person. Oh, I guess I'm a bad person too. It can affect you. So you've got to do something, anything. It doesn't have to be my nine weapons of hope. It can be, I don't, whatever. I just want you to get better. I mean, I'd love it if, if you use my resources because I'd love to connect with you, but it, that's not what it's about. It's about you finding what works for you. You might not believe this now, but your story matters. And the world will be a much better place when you let go of shame and stand on top of that story. No more shame. When you do that, you give others hope. You give them hope that they can do it too. You make them believe that they're not alone. Just like you're not alone because I'm standing right there with you. Please connect with me. Go to ValerieSilvera.com where you'll find lots of resources. I hope to meet you one day at a live event. But no matter where you are in this world, I want you to know that I am with you. I'm with you and I'm for you. I believe in you. I believe that together we can disrupt trauma for good. Hello there, my friends and fellow warriors. Today, I wanted to talk to you about something that lots of times people don't like to discuss, hear about, or think about. But death is a part of life. I know, I know, I'm not in charge. I wish it were different, but it's, it's a part of life. It's a reality and one that we're all going to have to face at some point and typically at a lot of points in our lives, we're going to lose our loved ones. So today I wanted to talk to you about how to keep their memory alive and stop dreading the milestones. Because that's what I figured out is that these milestones can come upon us and man, they really hurt. They really tug at our heartstrings. And I was really thinking about this a lot because on August 28th, 2021 will be the fifth year anniversary of my daughter Jamie getting her angel wings. It is five years since she was murdered. I mean, she was just removed from this earth by one man's decision. And unfortunately, <laughs> that changed our lives forever. There's no getting around it. And yes, my daughter did live for 15 years in addiction. So in a lot of ways, that's different from people who have people who've died and weren't in addiction. There are some different dynamics, but I mean, no matter how you lose somebody, no matter if it's expected or unexpected, no matter if they're on a bad path or not, 
it still shakes you to your very core. It still shocks you. You can't fully prepare. And so this is something that is so really super cool. I mean, since we have to face death, can't we find some good things in all of this? So my son, Sean, he started right away after the death of his sister saying, I don't want her birthday or the anniversary of her death to be this awful, painful day that I dread. And so he decided that I'm going to have the most fun I can. He takes those two days off of work, if they're work days always, and he just jam packs them with fun. Now, I'd imagine in the beginning, he probably did that so he wouldn't have to feel so much so that, you know, whatever, it was survival. But we've had a lot of discussions in the years since, and I've adopted Sean's idea. And now that we live in the same town, thankfully, we can actually spend it together. And I I just think it was such a brilliant way to think about all of this. And so he and I were talking today about it, and I was telling him how I was going to come and talk to all of you about this. And really even at a little deeper level. And I told him, Sean, you didn't even realize that you were doing this. But here's the deal. You know that we all have neural pathways in our brain. So this is when our nervous system transmits nerve impulses throughout the body, right? And it sends messages back and forth. Our brains are constantly adapting and rewiring. So the good news is that even though you've been wired a certain way, you can change your wiring, which is amazing, when you've experienced trauma, loss, it's, it's wonderful what our brains are capable of doing. But we've got to put some effort toward it, right? We've got to start changing our thoughts and behaviors because our thoughts and behaviors influence this. They influence those pathways. So if you repeat thoughts and behaviors long enough, you create a strong connection. So these pathways start to change. So if you think about some of the ways in which you've made strong connections and your neural pathways have been impacted by trauma, but also good experiences. So one of the strongest ways that you can change, well, not, I guess it is one of the strongest ways. I was going to say five, but let me just get to it. That you can change these neural pathways is to use all five of your senses, right? Touch, sight, sound, smell, taste. That's how we change our neural pathways the most. So I was telling Sean, hey, brilliant, Sean. You decided that, that making these milestones wonderful and, and not to be dreaded and actually fun, you're literally changing your neural pathways and you've helped me to do the same and, and some other family members. So thank you, Sean, first of all. So what I want to tell you is that you can overcome grief. And I think initially when somebody hears that, they think overcome, what do you mean? How do I overcome? Remember that overcoming means that whatever it is doesn't have a hold on you anymore. It doesn't control you. It doesn't have a grip on you. And grief can be the same and grief can swallow us up. I remember when Jamie first died and, and this was listen, after I had developed uh, well, now they're called the nine weapons of hope, but initially the nine actions. And I'd really been working on this and helping other people. But when the, I got that news, that knock on the door, and it knocked me right back to the mat again, and my beast got on top of me, I crawled into the hole in my heart for a little while. And I think that's okay. But I didn't stay there too long. When I say to overcome grief, I'm not telling you to bury your head in the sand or get over it. I tell people all the time, I don't want to get over Jamie. Why would I want to get over her? 
She's my daughter. I would never want to get over her. So overcoming is managing the grief. It's learning to live with that hole in your heart and not just live with it, but honor it. You can start living with joy and grief in the same heart. And I don't know that I I never really understood that to this degree until I lost my daughter And, and had to work my way through all this, by the way. It wasn't like I lost her and the next day had this epiphany. I had to, you know, meander my way through grief, crawling on my knees and flat on my face sometimes and praying and on my knees and, and just lost. I had to go through all of it to learn that I could live with joy and grief in the same heart and I could honor that whole without allowing it to swallow me up. So what we have to do is dismiss the old way of thinking. The old way of thinking says, We have to choose between staying in grief or getting over it. Okay, I don't like either one of those options. Do you? I don't want to stay in grief and I don't want to necessarily get over somebody. You can live in grief. You can still have grief in your heart for the rest of your life even, I believe. But also have joy, happiness, hope, gratitude, fun, laughter, all the other stuff too. You've got to be determined not to crawl inside that hole. Because that hole would like nothing better than to just swallow you up and close the opening and and be done with it. And that's what I call the beast. The beast wants you to stay controlled by grief so that you can't live a life of joy and happiness. Because when you do that, you give others hope. He doesn't want others to have hope. Our beasts don't want the good things for us. So honor the hole. Just don't let it swallow you up. So I want to give you a few tips and then tell you what we're doing for Jamie's five-year anniversary. And it all has to do with Sean's determination to stop dreading the milestones. That's where I really came up with this title. I want to keep Jamie's memory alive. And like Sean said, stop dreading those milestones. He told me today, Mom, I actually look forward to them. We know there are going to be some tears on the 28th, on the five-year anniversary, on any anniversary of her death. There are tears on her birthday, but we choose to, to change those neural pathways by doing something fun. You see what I'm saying? We're now making a different connection in our brains. So instead of sitting there thinking about the day she was shot, thinking about the time that, that the knock came on the door, instead of Sean thinking about the time I called him on the phone and told him to call me when he got home and he knew, he knew something was wrong and he pried it out of me while he was driving that his sister had been killed. We could think of those things. Of course we could. It's not like we're trying to pretend they didn't happen, but we're changing those pathways, those connections in our brains and in our hearts. This isn't just about your brain. Those neural pathways, that nervous system runs throughout our bodies. You know how you can have a smell and it just takes you back instantly. Have you ever heard one line of a song or even just the the music leading up to the lyrics and immediately you're transported back 25 years or more that's those connections so we're making different connections that allows us to keep the the memory and the reality of what happened to our loved one the reality of our loss but make different connections because why do you want to dread those milestones For us, 
we have we consider it two milestones so you could do the same the birth date and the death date the birth date i'm going to get into that a little bit more how we start to look at these that birth date differently her death date is we look at it that it's the anniversary of the day she got her angel wings the day she was called home the day she was with god So for Jamie, it's okay. It's the day she was taken out of her addiction. It was the day she was removed from danger. Yeah, we're the mere mortals sitting here back on earth having to deal with it all. And it's not easy, which is why I'm talking to you about this today. So the first, one of the first things I want to tell you is not to be afraid to say the words dead or died. I know it can be uncomfortable and, and, and it's okay if people want to say passed on or passed or whatever. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying don't, be, don't avoid it. Don't be afraid. I've seen people say, oh, your daughter, and they stop like, like they can't say the D word. And then they go, passed away, passed on. It's okay. We need to all get comfortable with these words. These, it's a reality. And here's the thing. We can help other people be less uncomfortable when we're comfortable with it. The fact of the matter is that Jamie died. She is dead. Yes, we can go on and explain it differently. I can say she's in heaven, like I said earlier. She did pass from this life. There's lots of ways to explain it. But I just want to encourage you not to be afraid of that D word. If you ask Sean, he would have told you that before Jamie died, he was very uncomfortable with that D word. But here's what he told me. He reminded me of this again today. He said, Mom, I don't want Jamie's death to be that thing that happened. I don't want people to say, I'm really sorry about that thing that happened to you. That thing that happened to me, he said, was my sister being killed. That's what that thing was. So it's okay to be specific. Okay, and this is the commemorating the day part that I've been talking about. Do it with happy. Remember, we're going to rewire the brain here. And when I talk to you about what we're planning... For our five-year anniversary for Jamie's angel wings coming up here, how we're going to use all five of the senses. I want you to kind of think about it when I'm, when I'm telling you about what we're going to do because this might give you some ideas about some things that you could do, but I want you to kind of think about, remember, if we can rewire all those five senses or use all those five senses to rewire, it's going to be much more helpful. Touch, sight, sound, smell, taste. So think about those things as I'm going through and think, aha, there's what they're doing there. And, and listen, when we planned this, we didn't plan it. I just thought about this. But how cool is it that that's exactly what we are doing and using all five of these senses? So one of the ways, again, is to think of Jamie Jamie's death in a different way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this a little bit later. Again, I, I, I keep telling you I'm going to mention it later, but I've, I got to put it in here. Not only is it the anniversary of her death, but when we celebrate her birthday, I know this is a different day, but when we celebrate her birthday, it's the day that God blessed us with her life. Yes, it's not long enough. We wished it were longer. We wish that 15 of her 30 years wasn't an addiction because here's the thing for us. Our memories of Jamie, and this is one of the reasons we try real hard to keep these good memories alive, is when you have somebody's an addiction, you don't have a lot of really good recent memories. They're probably very sporadic as they were with us. In fact, we didn't even see her for a year and a half. Or was it, was it, uh, yeah, a year and a half. 
that I went without seeing or even speaking to my daughter before she died. So I had no memories of that year and a half. But even before that, they were very sporadic, good memories. I have plenty of memories for those 15 years in addiction. Trust me, very few good ones. So our memories of Jamie, the good ones are really long term, you know, long term memories. And let's face it, we start losing our memories the older we get. So we have to really work to keep those alive because we want those memories alive. So we look at these days, her birthday, as the day God blessed us with her life. Without the comma, but it wasn't long enough. Comma, but it wasn't the best life. No, it's just the day he blessed us with her life. And then her anniversary date is the day she left us. If we put a period on the end of that, that's not so hot, is it? But it's also the day she went to see God. Okay, so here's the plan. Remember, we're going to make this day happy so that if it's a happy day in general, you begin to associate these milestones with fun, joy, and laughter, right? It's changing those pathways. You know, and God bless Nikki, that Sean's wife, that she just allows us to do whatever, and she never met Jamie, but she's just right in there with us. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more about including people that didn't necessarily know your loved one and why in just a minute. Okay, so we are going to have Jamie's favorite food, smell and taste, right? Jamie's favorite food happens to be, I mean, this is going to be, you know, a cardiologist's nightmare here, but she loved fettuccine Alfredo with chicken. Hey, there's some chicken in there for some protein. She loves Caesar salad and her favorite cake, which is also my favorite cake and Rich's favorite cake. So that works out well is red velvet. So I'm going to make a red velvet cake. I'm going to make some other food and I haven't figured out what yet. We're going to have whatever drinks. You could have drinks, whatever you want. I decided to make a little special drink and it's going to be a Bahama Mama. Now this has nothing to do with Jamie. In fact, Jamie didn't really drink much alcohol, but Bahama Mama is because when Jamie and Sean were little, my mom and I took them on a Disney cruise to the Bahamas. And while we were sitting at the dock, while they were getting everybody loaded onto the ship, they had, it was a Disney cruise and they had all the Disney characters there. And I have a great picture of Jamie and Sean. They were spinning each other around and dancing and they were so happy. And my mom and I were drinking Bahama Mamas. Hey, they, they gave them to us. Now, by the way, this is before we had to go have a safety drill. You can't leave the dock until you have this safety drill. You've got to put on your life jackets and go through all this stuff. Now, who in their right mind thought it would be a good idea to serve Bahama Mamas to the adults and then tell them to go back down to their cabin, which they've been to a total of one time. And by the way, there was construction on the ship near where we were, so it took us forever to get there. And so we get to our room, my mom and I and Jamie and Sean, and we open up. I, I'm aware of the life jackets. Oh, no. And they're making all these uh, announcements saying, you know, get up to the whatever deck. You got to get here. We got to get going. And I, I finally go, I don't know where. And I open up this closet and I swear there were like a dozen life jackets and they fell on top of my head. And of course, I started laughing. My mom started laughing. Jamie or Sean started laughing. And Jamie, who had the best sense of humor of anyone I knew, for some reason, she also, believe it or not, when she was younger, wanted to always, you know, do the right thing. She was very studious. And, you know, I, you know, she definitely got that from me, but she also didn't have any Bahama Mamas in her. So Jamie was so mad at us that we were laughing because we had to get to that deck. And we were literally the last people to get there and, and do our safety demonstration. But the other funny thing about that day was that my mom is scared to death to fly. She's scared to death to go on a boat. And she flew to Florida with us. 
from Seattle and went on this ship. So as we're drinking this Bahama Mama, my mom looks at me and goes, oh, Val, I could cruise for days. And I said, mom, we haven't left the dock yet. So that was a funny story. So what we're going to be doing is telling funny stories. So I'm drinking Bahama Mamas. I'm going to put up a little sign with a quick quip about, you know, the, our trip to the Bahamas. That's the connection of the fun thing that will elicit us to tell stories like the one I just told you. If you had some flowers for your loved one, you know, some flower that they just loved, or you could even wear perfume that they loved, that would be smell. The flowers would also be sight, of course. How about music? So when Jamie was little, she loved Hanson. Oh my gosh, she was in love with Hanson. And she had that very first Hanson CD. And my husband, Rich, took she and her cousin, Shawnee, to the music store to get it. Oh my gosh, Shawnee still tells the story about how cool they thought Rich was. And then when they went to the concert, even though it was during the day, I insisted that Rich and I drove them and we sat across the street from the theater, watched them the whole time they were in line, and then waited till they came out. So that, you know, these are just good, funny memories. So I literally am getting a Hanson CD, even though I don't even have a CD player anymore. But it's just, it's going to be these ways of us connecting visual, sight, sound, smell, touch, taste to happiness. Now, by the way, what I haven't told you is what we're doing with all this. We're having a party. And people that didn't even know Jamie will be there. Some that will that did know Jamie will be there. Others that did not know her. And God bless them for wanting to come to somebody's five-year anniversary of their death party. And we, you know, Sean told them there are going to be a few tears here and there. But it's, the main objective is for us to have fun and make this a fun, happy day. A true celebration. So he's having a pool party at his house. I'm making all the food and we're doing all this stuff we talked about. Before that, we're going on a bike ride in the morning. This has nothing to do with Jamie. It has to do with that general happy feeling that we're going to have for the day. We're going on a bike ride. Then we're going to go bowling. Why? Because it's fun. And then we're going to go and have this pool party in the afternoon and the evening at Sean's place. So this brings me to this another piece of advice. Invite people to celebrate with you. Here's the thing. You can grieve alone or celebrate together. Which would you rather do? I know a lot of you might say grieve alone. That's because you're stuck inside that hole in your heart. Or it's too new. You know, you've, this, this loss is too new. And you're not quite ready to do what I'm talking about. This is definitely much more of a long-term plan. So even people that don't know your loved one, here's a bonus for them. I know it doesn't sound like much of a bonus to them to go celebrate someone they didn't even know, but they get to learn how to grieve with joy. You can help them learn. So when it's time for them, they'll have an easier time with all of this. But also know that not everybody's ready to help you. Not everybody's ready to join into something like this, and that's okay. The ones that are and that are willing, that's just wonderful. Don't try to force somebody. Tell stories. I mentioned that earlier, that these props that we're using are going to help us to remember to tell stories. We're going to have some Hawaiian lays there because one of the really great memories that Rich and Sean and Jamie and I had as a family is we all went to Hawaii together. And we have some funny stories from Hawaii. So we're going to have a picture of the four of us in Hawaii, and that will prompt some stories to be told. Even if these people don't know your loved one, everybody loves stories. 
Let them get their own mental picture of your loved one. Then this will help them to be less afraid to talk about your loss. The other thing is you get to celebrate their life, your loved one's life with people who matter to you, even if they don't know you or did not know your loved ones. We should all share in the blessings, losses, wins, ups, downs of each other's lives. It's not all fun and games. Life is tough and we should be in it, fully in it with people, at least with some people. Choose gratitude. This is another one of my great tips for these milestone days. You should be doing this all the time, but focus more on the time you had with the person and less on the time you don't have. Be grateful for those memories. What if you didn't have them? It's like that Garth Brooks song, which I absolutely love. Yes, it's a tearjerker. It makes me cry, but I don't care. I listen to it anyway. The dance. I could have missed the pain. Okay, if I never even had Jamie, I could have missed the pain. But I would have had to miss the dance. I don't want to miss the dance. And let me tell you what, that dance was pretty bad sometimes. That dance sometimes was like Elaine from Seinfeld. If you're old enough to watch that show, you know what I'm talking about. Not pretty. But all in all, I wouldn't have wanted to miss the dance. Focus more on who is still there. Now remember that while you're honoring this person, you can still be focused on the people that are present. And that's what we're planning to do on that day. When we have this party and this big celebration, I'm going to be present and in it with every person there. I'm going to be listening to what they have to say. I'm going to be looking in their eyes. I'm going to be hugging them, kissing their cheek. I'm going to be with them fully present. Thank you, Jamie, for this gift. Your death, the loss of you has allowed me to know how to be more fully present with other people. What a gift. So bring, you know, if you want, like we're doing this, some memorabilia or stuff, like Sean and I each have a, an orb, they call it a gla blown glass ball that um, sits kind of like, like how a paperweight would be a good size one. Beautiful. His has a hummingbird on the top and we have a story that goes with the hummingbird. And mine just is this beautiful orange. You might see it on my website with um, a Jamie's ashes were laid into it. I have a necklace now that I have some of her ashes and I can take it around with me and um, also I'm having a ring made with her ashes in it so you know whatever it is these tangible things are okay I know people that have a lot of memorabilia from their loved ones unfortunately with Jamie being an addiction that didn't leave us with much of her stuff because she would abandon her stuff all the time so we have very few actual tangible things but we're making more tangible things now so Another thing I want to give you, another tip here as we close there, is to be open to ways that you never imagined you could be like ashes. I have a friend who we, we both lived in Florida at the time, and her brother died, and he died of AIDS, and she was with him for several months, you know, during this really long um, end of his life, and she just adored this brother, and she was telling us the story, and we were at dinner at their house, and she said she had his ashes. And I said, oh, well, what do you do with them? And she goes, oh, well, hold on. She comes out and she brings them in. They're in a Ziploc baggie. <laughs> and I was horrified. I was just like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't show it, but I was going, I was kind of freaked out. I didn't want to look at them, touch them. And we drove home and we were going, wow, that was kind of weird. But we uh, we laugh about it now. I, I've told her since. Um, but I just, it wasn't comfortable for me. And when Rich's dad died, 
I had a similar experience where his mom wanted an urn and she wanted to put it up on the fireplace mantle. And I just thought, that is so weird. Why would you want that? So morbid. Why would you want ashes up there? I don't get that. I just kept telling Rich, it's so weird. So we're at the service and as we're leaving, we're taking all the flowers out, everything, all mainly flowers out of the service. And we walk back in, there's nothing left, but old Frank, he's in on the, on the urn, in the urn, on the man, on the, um, on a shelf in this, um, room we were in. And my mother-in-law, Emily says, Hey Val, could you go ahead and grab Frank? I thought, oh, dear God in heaven, of all the people she asked to grab Frank, <laughs> the one that thinks it's so weird, I never told her that. So I grabbed my father-in-law, and we were in the back seat. I was in the back seat of the car, and there's just covered in flowers and all this, and I didn't want it to tip over. I didn't realize how sealed they were, but I didn't obviously didn't want it to tip over, so I stuck it right between my legs, and we had a big crack up about that. <laughs> Frank would have cracked up too. So it's kind of funny how I would have never guessed that I would have been able to touch Jamie's ashes and that I actually loved touching them when they went through my fingers into the, the dirt that I put them in. I don't want to get all weird and morbid if you're uncomfortable with it, but my point is just that it, it doesn't make me uncomfortable anymore. And so I, I would have never guessed. So my thing is just to be open to ways in which you might change through all of this. And my last tip is wash, rinse, and repeat. Keep doing this over and over and over because remember the milestones are going to keep happening and if you use these tips to use all five of your senses to create those new neural pathways new ways of thinking you're going to have new feelings you're going to learn to honor that hole in your heart but keep on living and you won't dread those milestones anymore you might even be like sean where you're actually looking forward to them knowing that you're going to shed a tear or two. My friend, loss is a part of life, but we don't have to do it alone. Join me at ValerieSilvera.com. You can join my Trauma Disruptors community. It is a private community. It is not on social media. And you can also become a Trauma Disruptor member. We have memberships that are right around the corner. I'm really excited about it because together we can overcome grief. We can learn to stand strong. We can stand up to those beasts. No matter where you are in this journey we call life, you still have a purpose. You still have so much life to live, no matter how many number of days it is, weeks, months, or years, or even decades. As long as we're on this earth, every single day is a gift, and we need to make them matter. So link arms with me. You don't have to do this alone. I hope this message today has helped you so that you can stop dreading those milestones, that you can start looking forward to it, that you can keep your loved one's memory alive. No more dreading the milestones. You are not alone. Your story matters. So link arms with me, connect with me. Let's stand strong together. Let's disrupt trauma for good.